0: Welcome everybody. I'm oh, so glad that you're here today. For those of you who are here inside and watching uh, from home and you know it started raining outside so I think that you guys transition inside um, to join us. So uh, for those of you who normally w- uh, watch outside well welcome inside. Um, and uh, my name's um, Dave Fukuyama and I'm the senior pastor here. But before we start I, I wanted to sh- uh, share an announcement. And, you know, we all know that life is full of transition. And I'd like to share about an announcement of one of the uh, transitions that, you know, one of our staff members is going to go through. Um, Christina Matsuda, who is our administrative uh, uh, administrator, is going to be uh, transitioning out of her position here at Mission Valley. And it's one of those bittersweet moments because on one hand it's kind of sad and it's bitter because she'll be leaving us and we're going to miss her. But it's also sweet is because she's pursuing a master's in education and she's pursuing this one program that um, it crams three years of study into one year where she comes out with her master's and her credentials. Right, But you can imagine it's a condensed um, program, and it's really, really hard to get into. It's not easy. And out of the three schools she applied to, she was accepted to two, and she's waiting on one now. But just to show how hard it is, she wants to go into elementary teaching, which I think she'll be phenomenal at. But she had to test out in calculus and trigonometry. And I am saying, in what world does an elementary teacher have to know calculus and trigonometry? And so, I don't know, maybe the school system's really advanced now since when I went to elementary. And when I was in elementary, we were just learning to write our names in the alphabet, <laughs> let alone having to know calculus and trigonometry. But, you know, it's wonderful for her. And one of the things that I really dream and hope for all of my staff is that, my staff gets to do what God called them to do. And they're all here for a time. And while they're here, you know, it is our job as a church body and me as their senior pastor to, you know, and pour my life into them so that they could succeed. And so that's gonna, that will be happening. So if you look at the uh, MV Connect, there will be postings for um, this position. So if you know anybody that um, wants to, is looking for a job or you feel would be a good administrator, um, please let us uh, know and because that's what will be happening. Also, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're going through the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a wonderful, wonderful book because I think so many of us go through this where, you know, sometimes things happen to us, you know, where we keep asking, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this happen to happen? Couldn't you have done this another way? I can't see a way out of this, right? And all we could see is a darkness that surrounds us. But we forget that God has a plan and that God is working. And, and last week, you know, we, we, the first week we saw um, Naomi and her family. They went from um, Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, and they went to um, Moab, And the reason they went to Moab was because there was a famine, right? So her family went. But when she was at Moab, she lost a husband, and she lost her two sons. They passed away. And she was alone with her two daughters-in-law. So life was pretty bleak for her and her daughters-in-law. And you could tell she was upset with God, right? She was upset with God, but she realized she had to come back home. And so she journeyed back to the Bethlehem area, Jerusalem area, right? That's seven to 10 journeys. She was mad at God at Moab. When she came back, she was still upset at God, right? Because all she could see was darkness around her. And she had no future, no hope. But she didn't realize that in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her suffering, God had a plan. And God was at work. And so I I, I did the first part, Ruth 1. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about when they actually came back to um, the uh, Bethlehem um, area. And what happened? Steve said, all of a sudden, the pieces are starting to come together, right? Why? Because God's at work. You know, He has a plan. And so we're going to continue on in that theme, that God has a plan for you, even though you might not think... There is no hope. And today, we're going to talk about relationships. You know, love is in the air, because we're going to talk about, that's what chapter 3 is all about. I remember when I was uh, at my other church, I was, I was probably in my 30s, and uh, myself and my best friend, we went to a Christmas Eve service, and after the Christmas Eve service, we'd always go out to dinner. So he and I went out to dinner. We were at the ABC Cafe, that's right there on Garfield in garvey right but i remember this conversation that i had that we had we said you know what if we don't do anything next year about our current situation we're gonna come back here december 24th and still be single (laughs) right because we were complaining about you know our singleness and um so we made a pact i said okay this will be the year when we're going to do something about it we may get turned down we may get shot down but at least we tried right and so um, we did that and you know years later i got I, I had the privilege of performing you know his wedding and then he had the privilege of being a groomsman in my wedding right but you know when i was growing up there was this false view of how do you meet somebody as a believer? Because, you know, I was told that God had that perfect person for you. That, you know, when you were born, that God had that one person. Then my always fear was, well, what if I miss this person? What if I choose the wrong One, I'm not perfect. You know, God has one person for me, so that kind of put a lot of pressure on me. So, you know what? You know, I was doing my best to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not so I could grow in my faith, just so I wouldn't miss this person that God planned, because I need to be close with God, because God was going to tell me who this one person was. You know, and I think a lot of people grew up with that, right? That as you grow up, God has this one person for you and one person only. And then I realized that, you know, that's not true. I'm not saying that grace is not the person for me, so please don't take that from me. But I want to, I, I want to illustrate something to you, okay? And this is how I figured out how it worked. Okay, now if you see this, these are all uh, okay, these are like names of all these women. Wh- wh- okay, my son's all embarrassed. <laughs> now, these are names of women. So I have Megan, Grace, Jennifer, Kristen, Heather. And these are not names of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> Michael, I'm not that crazy to put that <laughs> up there. But these just represent, you know, women in your life that you could possibly marry. So the question is, which one is God's chosen one for you? Well, um, I said, well, out of all of these, you know, let's say I I didn't date anyone except for grace. Um, I said, you know what? I choose grace. Boom. Okay, so I choose grace, right? Out of all of these, you know, possibilities, I choose grace. And then, so there's that hole there. Then if you turn it around, guess what? See that? See that? This is God's chosen one for me. The minute I said I do to my wife, Grace, that was God's chosen one for me. And, you know, we've had a wonderful marriage. We've celebrated 25 years of marriage, and if I had, yeah. Yeah. And if I had to do it again, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. But I just wanted to show that as an example, that who God's God's chosen one for you is the person that you said I do to. So, for those of you who are married and are questioning, okay, what was I thinking? God's chosen one for you is who? Your spouse. You know, there's no what-ifs. There is no what-ifs. That is God's chosen person for you. Right? But, you know, you, in the old way of thinking is, I just have to wait. I'll just wait here, and God will bring that person to my life. And we realize that, no, we've got a role to do this, you know, that we need to um, make an effort to go out there and at least try. And I think... Um, Living a life as an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ is the best way for you to find a suitable marriage partner for you. Because I think if you are living as an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ, your odds go way up when it comes to who are you going to choose, who's going to be that one person, right? Um, And not all of you are going to get married, right? Some of us are called to a life of singleness, And others' life just happens, right? Marriage is not the key to experience joy. I want to make that clear. Marriage is not the key to experience joy. Walking in a close relationship with Jesus Christ is the key to experience joy. Well, we're going to take a look at Ruth's situation and what Naomi did to put her daughter-in-law, Ruth, into a good position where she had a possibility of getting married. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Ruth chapter 3, verse 1? Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, you have to remember, when Naomi and her family went to um, um, Moab, her sons married Moabite women. But then her sons and her husband died, leaving her with just herself and two uh, daughter-in-laws. And then what happened? Naomi returned home And she told her daughter-in-laws, no, go back to Moab. Find younger husbands for you. At least you'll have a good life that God will bless you. He's cursed me, but there's no reason why you should live a cursed life. Go back home. However, Ruth stayed with her. Ruth goes, no. where you go? I will go. Your God will be my God. She showed a tremendous amount of loyalty to her mother-in-law, and she was giving up everything, to return to Moab. Because in those days, marriage tool provided financial support, security, and protection. If you were a single woman, it wasn't like today. You know, back then, you could not provide for yourself. Back then, if you were a woman, you could not have a career. So basically, if you were a woman and, a single, and single, you would be destitute. You would probably have to live a life Your whole life as a beggar, or even worse, you'd have to become a prostitute. And those were the choices facing Ruth and Naomi. This is why she thought her life was so black, right? But now that um, Naomi is starting to see God's plan, that God is working, that God, oh, God is taking care of me, she wants that for her daughter in law too. She goes, I want you to find a home so that you'd be financially secure, that you would be protected, right? That you would be able to have children. Because in those days, children were a source of blessing, right? So she, this is what she wants for her daughter-in-law. It says, verse 2, Now Boaz, with, whom, with whose woman you have worked with, is a relative to ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshold floor. And we saw that last week as Pastor Steve talked about that. And so she was saying that, okay, this Boaz, um, you know, he's at the winning room floor. Basically what that is, that was just a large area that you, was usually downwind. And what they would do is just take the wheat up and they would throw it up. And the wind would blow um, the chaff and all of that away. And the seeds or the grains would fall to the ground and it would separate. And so he was doing that. And then she says, wash Put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. So we see Naomi coming up with a plan. You know, she loves her daughter-in-law. And she uh, wants her daughter-in-law to have a blessed life. And so she's coming up with a plan where she was saying, go there, um, get you know, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And so this is a plan to what? Put her in a place where she could, where possibly Boaz would take notice of her. And so also when it says put on new clothes and the best clothes, it was also symbolic that Ruth was no longer in a period of mourning, right? Because even in today's um, culture, you know, if you know, your spouse passes away, it's usually not proper for the living spouse to start dating right away, right? You know, if we see that, we would go, hey, what's up with that? You know, what, what, you know the, your, your wife just died. Why are you dating the next week, right? So even with us, there is like a, a sense that there should be a period of mourning, of grief, of healing. And they had that back then too. So by doing this, um, Ruth was saying that my period of mourning was over. And then um, Naomi continues to tell Ruth, when he lies down, note the place he is lying. Go and cover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. And so here's Naomi lovingly telling Ruth, hey, this, I, I want you to have a great life, and this is what you do, right? And what did Ruth do? Ruth obeyed her and said, I will do you know what you say. Why? Because Ruth trusted her mother-in-law, that Ruth knew that Naomi had her best interest at heart. right? And I know today we um, joke around about in-law relationships, right? Well, you would say all these jokes about you know, the crazy in-laws or whatnot. But you know, this is an example of what a, a good in-law relationship could be, right? Well, they cared about each other so much. There were no in-law jokes between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi truly loved uh, Ruth, and Ruth truly loved Naomi, and Ruth trusted her, okay, trusted her. And she said, whatever you do, say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, when Boaz was finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, and Richard, Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And so, once again, you know, Ruth approached Boaz after he had a full stomach. It's kind of like the age-old uh, adage, the way to a man's heart is what? Through his stomach, right? So he had eaten, you know, he, he was feeling uh, good, right? And so... Naomi told him, wait till he feels good. You know, so when you're going to do something, you got to have a little bit of thinking, right? You don't want to go and ask a person on a date when they're, not, when they're grumpy on an empty stomach, right? It's called doing your homework. And that's when I was dating, we always did that. We did our homework. Why? To lessen the uh, chance of us getting rejected, right? Especially as a guy. Cause, um, and so that's what Naomi was trying to do. She was trying to set up ruth in the best possible situation for her to succeed in the middle of the night this cracks me up something startled the man he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet now could you imagine that you're going to bed right and you wake up and what you know there's a what you know who's she right what's she doing there she wasn't there when i uh, went to bed because that would be a bad thing right because he wasn't married you you know in that day you just didn't do that so no wonder it would freak him out because what would people think you know what would people think of him he goes who are you he asked Uh, i am your servant ruth She said, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So now she introduces herself. Number one, she says she's her servant, but she says, Spread your corner of your garment over me. And you probably say, Well, what does that have to do with anything? Is she cold? Is it like, okay, you know, when you're sleeping, and also Boaz takes all the blankets and she goes, oh my goodness, you know, grabs a blanket and puts it back over her. Now, this isn't what that was. You know, this was a marriage proposal. By saying this, Ruth was asking Boaz to marry him because putting his blanket over her meant that. He was asking her to provide that protection that a spouse would give. And then she said, since you are a guardian redeemer of the family. Now, Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her under the Leverite uh, marriage law. Now, what's that? Well, if you look at Deuteronomy, starting with 25, verse 5, it says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, His widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that the name will not be blotted out from Israel. And so this was a Leverite marriage. And so, you know, I have a a younger brother. And let's say uh, my younger brother, who is married, Um, died without having a son to keep the family name going. That under this law, I was to marry my sister-in-law, okay? And that my sister-in-law was not to marry outside the family. And that if, um, you know, we had a son, then that son would have all the legal rights and inheritance of my brother's family, not my family. And so this was a law that was meant to make sure that you know th- th- a woman would not be left a widow, right? And so this was a law that um, Ruth was asking. Even though he, she wasn't m- related to him, Boaz was related to Naomi, right? And so, you know, hey, you know her husband died. It's, you know, your responsibility, right? I'm marrying you as a part of this um, Leverite law. But she also says that he's a guardian redeemer the, of the family. And basically what a guardian redeemer was, it, it was a male relative um, who had the privilege and the responsibility to act on behalf of the relative who was in danger or trouble or in need. Now, we know that uh, Naomi was, um, didn't have a husband, And most likely she owned land. So let's say she had to sell her land in order to um, provide for herself, to get the finances, right? Then as a guardian redeemer, then Boaz would have to purchase that land back from whoever she sold it to. So what? The land would go back into her family's name to take care of her. And that's what she was talking about here, too, is you are our guardian's redeemer. It's your responsibility to, you know, take care of us in a time of trouble, danger, and need. But this is also a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, who's our guardian redeemer, who when we were in trouble, because we were dead in our sins, and there was no way for us to be saved, Right, he came in and he took the responsibility to care for us, to redeem us, to die for on to die on the cross for us, right? And this is what she was appealing um, to um, Boaz. And then, what does Boaz says? Bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether <laughs> rich or poor. Now, um, Boaz calls and Naomi were probably both uh, at the same age, but both of them called um, Ruth daughter, right? He called him daughter, which kind of what most commentators think that Ruth was at least. A generation younger than Boaz, right? So that would be like me having a relationship with, I know he's gonna get embarrassed, but someone my son's age, right? I know he's, everyone, all you guys are going, ew, right? <laughs> um, but that's what this was, right? Ruth was probably a generation younger. And so basically what he was, Boaz is saying is, My daughter, you've shown greater kindness than what you showed earlier. The kindness she showed earlier was to what? Um, Naomi, to care for Naomi. But the also kindness was not to marry outside the family. which She obeyed the law and not to go after a younger man. Because we don't know, some commentator says that maybe the, you know, youth, Ruth may not have been cool with this marriage, right? Because the guy is as old as my dad, you know, and I'm not, I, I would want a younger one. I mean, it wasn't like my, grandf- my grandfather did the same thing, right? You know, my grandfather um, came from Japan right? And so he came here because he wanted a better living for his family. So he came here and he started working and I forgot what he did. But he was single. But back then, what, how did they get married? They matched. And so what he did is he sent a picture of himself to um, his future bride's family. However, he was 36 at the time. My grandmother, future grandmother was 16. Right? What? See, this is what the reaction, this is Boaz, now you know, you could feel for Boaz, because this is what he felt. Okay, she was 16, he was 36, and he probably felt the way Boaz did. So he sent a picture of himself when he was 18. They didn't have email back then, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook, they had, she had no idea how old he was except for this picture. So she says, okay, I'm 16, he's 18. Okay, so she came over and she spends all of her money on the trip over. She has no money left when she got here, but all she knows is there's an 18-year-old man that's gonna take care of her and provide for her. You can imagine her look when she sees this guy and she goes, I'm sorry, do you know this, this person here? I'm looking for this person. And he goes, that's me. <laughs> and i go, what? You know, but you know, she didn't have enough money to go back. You know? <laughs> so she is stuck. But that was that situation that Boaz faced here, right? But since she was so much younger than Boaz, it was not appropriate. This one commentator said it was not appropriate for Boaz to... Um, try to start a relationship with her so she initiated the relationship with him and so i mean he was thrilled with this right he was thrilled with this at this kindness that she hasn't run after a younger man i mean there was no half your age plus seven rule you know back then right you guys look at me have you ever heard that rule half your name well, I was, uh, when I was working with, um, you know, singles, there was this adage. And it was mainly for guys. Well, how young can you date somebody when there's this rule? Well, you could date somebody who's half your age plus seven, as long as that number was over 18. So I'm 62. Half my age would be 31. Then you add seven years to that and 38. Honey, I'm not thinking about this. This is just illustration, okay? So the youngest I could go with 38. But I get you, if there's somebody here at, who's 38 years old, you're probably not relishing the idea of dating a 62-year-old man, right? And, but then see, this is how Boaz felt, you know? Boaz probably didn't have any hope either, right? But then this young woman, proposes for him and what an act of kindness she was showing to him and he says and now my daughter don't be afraid i will do all you ask all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character why was ruth why did ruth agree to marry somebody as old as her father when she could have married somebody who was younger? Because she was of noble character. She didn't marry outside the family, right? Because what? She was of noble character. She was um, fulfilling the Leverite marriage, right, to follow the law. Why? Because she was a woman of noble character. So who, what are the characteristics of a woman of noble character? Well, you women, you know, write down Proverbs 31, 10. Because this is where it starts. The author talks about what it means to be a noble woman. And he says, Proverbs 31, 30, uh, 31, 10. It says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. So what the author is saying here is that a woman of normal character, a woman who is a godly woman who obeys the Lord, who follows the Lord, who lives as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, her worth is more than all the money in the world. That's what this author is saying. Yet, how do we define how much a person is worth, right? Is it by looks? Is it by career? Is it by intelligence? Right? When you're looking for somebody to date, what are your qualifications of the person that you're looking for? Right? Now, I'm not saying that looks is not important because it's thing called attraction. But, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right? It's not what our culture says is beautiful. It's not like you. Everybody has to date supermodels because that's what our culture says that a woman of worth, you know, looks like. But what does this say here? It says a noble woman is far more worth than any mother in the world. And then it goes on to say in verse Proverbs thirty-one thirty, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I've done uh, been around, you know, single ministry for a long time before I was a, a senior pastor. And it just kind of cracked me up when he, I'm listening to these guys and they talk about, "Okay, you know, I want to go dating and they, they want to they tell me, so this is the person we're looking for." And I'm saying, "Are you kidding me? You're looking for Miss Universe?" And all of their criteria was what? On the physical, on the physical, right? And if they only understood at least these two verses, they would say, hey, your criteria is messed up. Because they said, um, charm is uh, deceptive. It says, beauty is fleeting. You know, none of us look like we did when we were 18, right? When I was uh, 18 in college, I had a job at the what is now the 24-hour fitness center where I was a, you know, a fitness counselor, salesperson, so I got to work out five days a week, right, and so when you're that age and you work out five days a week, you're kind of starting to look pretty good, right, well, that was then, right, and then all of a sudden, you know, when I had a, a child, I, you'd go to Raging Waters and you see all these crazy slides, right? Who's there? You got the teenage students there. You got the college age kids there. And you could tell these guys, not everyone looks the same, but you could tell these guys and they're working out. They're all cut. Right, they're walking around like this, and they're really—they're flexing as they're walking. And it, you know, as an old guy, I said, "Okay, I remember the days." You know, that just cracks me up. They're like this peacock trying to uh, uh, attract a, a female. Right, just everything they do—scratch, is they're flexing. And yes, you look good, right? But they said beauty is fleeting. Well, you know what? When you have a kid, I hang out at the kids section, and guess what? All of us dads look alike. You know. Uh, we don't go to the gym five days a week. We look alike. You know. We look, hey, we're comfortable. Okay, we're not these young, stud and young studs and that's okay, right? But that's what he's saying, is beauty is fleeting. And so if that is your only criteria of a, um, a spouse, then there's problems there. There's problems there, right? Because that inward character is important. And so this is the principle that I want us to take. Obedience to God is a foundation of a successful romantic relationship. Obedience to God is a foundation of a successful romantic relationship. Not looks, not career, not popularity. It's what? Obedience to God. You know, Ruth was a Jewish convert who obeyed the law, and she didn't marry outside the family, when she could have married a younger person, right? You know, and I see this all the time when people um, are trying to live a spiritual life, but they've been single for a while, and they said, you know what? It's not happening. God's not going to provide for me, so I'm just going to date somebody who's got a nice personality and kind. The problem is this person's an unbeliever, Right? And there's a problem to that. Well, the Bible says that we shouldn't be unevenly yoked. And there's a reason for that. Because you who are a believer are spiritually alive. The unbeliever is spiritually dead. And it's not a judgment on them. It's just that that's the truth. That without the Holy Spirit inside them, they are spiritually dead. Now, a spiritually dead person cannot come up to your level. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. There's only one way for you guys to meet, and that is for you to go down to that level, right? And I know of what I speak here, because I know some people say, you know what, I'm strong enough. My faith is strong enough. I can handle that. And I thought that too. You know, I thought my faith was strong enough. And so (laughs) my mom wasn't pleased about it. Because when she grew up, when we were growing up, she said, Dave, it really doesn't matter to us who you marry. It doesn't matter what ethnicity, race, you know, career, you know, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that this person's a believer. That was the only criteria. And so when I was dating an unbeliever, she saw my, me, my faith, just take a nosedive, right? And she knew what was going to happen. But I thought I was strong enough to deal with that. And I wasn't, right? And so, and, and another part is I was hearing this one um, author saying, How can a couple be intimate and close with one another if at the very heart of who they are, they can't connect? See, at the very heart of us is not a career. At the very heart of us is not our finances. At the very heart of us is not our ability to live a comfortable life. Or at the very heart of us, it's not being fun to be around. At the very heart of us who was a believer, it's what? Jesus Christ. It's who we are. Faith is not what we do. Faith is who we are. And so what this author was saying is how can you actually... Share life with somebody or be close with somebody when who you are cannot match with who they are, and you can't experience this together. You know, I, I had to trust God. You know, for myself, because when I entered into the ministry, I thought, okay, for sure, that you know, I'm not going to be able to get married. I was old, I was like in my 30s, right? And um, because of my car accident, you know, I was extreme. I was. Extremely overweight, which caused a lot of health issues. And so pretty low self-esteem. Didn't think that, you know, God would provide for me, right? Why? Because I had the wrong criteria. But there's one thing I knew. I knew that I could offer a woman something, which was what? My character, my faith, spiritual leadership. I could offer that. And praise God that God brought, you know, grace, you know, into my life. And yeah, she married up, you know. And um, I'm I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm glad that uh, she saw through she saw through my heart, right? Because at the outside there wasn't much, you know. At you know, sorry, honey, I know she's embarrassed, but um, no, I praise God for, you know, that she had a different set of criteria. For the man that she wanted to marry, right, pastor, <laughs> I wasn't making a whole lot of money, right? I didn't have any of that. But she was looking for somebody who had integrity, and who could lead the family, be the spiritual leader of not only her or, her, or of our family. And then he says right here in verse twelve: Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of her family, there is another who is, close, is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so here's this guy. He's an older guy. He has this young woman who wants to marry him. He's all excited, but the reason she wants to marry him was that she was saying that one, that you are my kin's guardian redeemer. But the problem was, Boaz said, there's a relative that has a closer relationship than I do. There's somebody else that has a more valid claim than I do. I'm going to go to him. And if he wants to redeem you, let him do it. So, what was Boaz saying here? He's saying that here's this young woman who was proposing to him. And he was excited about that. But he was a man of integrity. You know, he didn't think of, okay, are there loopholes in this? What can I do to get around this to enable her to marry me? No he knew that there was somebody who was a closer relative than he was. And he said, I'm going to tell him. He was willing to risk this relationship because he was a man of integrity. He was willing to trust God in this. Living with integrity is essential for a successful romantic relationship. Now, like I said, obedience to God is, I think, I believe the foundation. And there's a lot of other essentials. But in this case, in this example, living with integrity is essential for successful romantic relationships. And what's integrity? Integrity is just that you are the same on the outside that you are on the inside. That what you say about yourself, what you say about what you believe, matches who you are. And this was Boaz. This was Boaz. He was a man of integrity. He was willing to give up that which he probably be wait, was waiting for a long time in order to live with integrity. And he was able to give that up as a result of that. And it says, she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Once again, just in case people would talk. Um, But he said, he also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And she told them everything that Boaz had done for Ruth. And added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Once again, we see um, Boaz acting as a kinsman's redeemer. His uh, role, whether he was the nearest one or not, his role was to care for a family member in need. And we see him doing that here. And then what was Naomi's response? Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until he, you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. See, Naomi knew Boaz's integrity. Naomi knew that once Boaz said that he was going to do something, that he was going to do it and that he would not get it he would not rest until that matter was settled his integrity was known to Naomi just as Ruth is noble Ruth's noble character was known to the whole town so let me ask you this question is your character is your integrity known by others is your integrity is your noble character known by others because in this it should be when people lo- and it doesn't mean that we're perfect cuz I've messed up more than my fair my fair share but do we have the integrity to admit when we're wrong do we have the integrity to say okay this is what i say and inside this is how i truly live This is what I believe, and this is how I live my life. We have to have that. And we see that in Ruth. And so when you take a look at the book of Ruth, you have several characters that were wondering if God would provide. You have Naomi and Ruth, whose life was bleak, who had no future, but we see God providing for them. We see God putting the pieces together. Then we have Boaz, a man of faith, and a man of integrity, an aging man, who was single, who probably said, you know what, you know, there's no hope for me. But we see God in the uh, background working, putting the pieces together for his life too. And so whatever situation you're in right now, no matter how dark your situation is in, we've got to remember that God is in the background working. He's putting the pieces together for a plan that is perfect for you. It, not be, it may not be what you think is perfect, but that plan is perfect for you. What's our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is to read Ruth chapter 3 daily. It's not that long. It says, do your relationships possess the characteristics of Ruth and Boaz? All right? Or do you as an individual... Do you possess the characteristics of Ruth and Boaz? And finally, if you don't take three action steps to portray or possess the characteristics of Ruth and Boaz. Worship team, please come forward and let's pray. Uh, Gracious heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the story of Ruth. For we see, Father, and we learn that you are a God who cares, that you are a God who sees, that even though times might be dark where we don't think that you have a plan for us and we might be even ready to give up hope, Father, that you are working, that you have a plan. But Father, most of all, we thank you that you are our guardian redeemer, that we were in a place where we could not save ourselves, where we are in a place where we had no hope, where we were in a place where there was only one destination for us, and that was to live eternally away from, apart from you. But, Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for our sins, so that if we believe and have faith in you and trust in you, Father, that you would give us life, that you redeemed us. And so, Lord, we are so thankful for that. And Father, I pray that each one of us here will take a look at what are the qualifications do we place on relationships? What are the things that we are looking for in the person of the opposite gender? Father, if any of our uh, characteristics are not in line with you, Father, I pray that you change them. And Father, instead of worrying so much about is there someone out there for me, Father, that we would be totally concerned about growing closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, so that the people around us could see our noble character, so people around us could see the integrity by which we live, which is a result of us being a disciple of yours. But I thank you so much that we could all leave this place with a feeling of hope, knowing that there is no situation